that we can pursue God passively. We just do our life and then hope God blesses it, honors it, kind of walks along with us. Um, you know, we, we just kind of assume he's there. Uh, we're not engaging or anything like that. Which, by the way, I've seen, uh, I've seen many married couples do that over the years. They just kind of passively, they cohabitate. And, um, and that does okay until something big happens and then they don't know what to do after that. Um, when, are the, when are the two most common times for people to get a divorce? Right after kids and right after kids leave. It's good. Usually around 10 years. Um, 8 to 10 is that first window. And then <laughs> and that doesn't mean you're going to stay together, okay? Don't. We got an office pool that says. So, um, <laughs> so, uh. Uh, so why is that after the kids come and then after the kids leave? Why, why are those big times? Or maybe even like him. <clears throat> Patrick? That's true. And neither one of you know each other because you've changed a lot. You know, and I, I hear this all the time. Couples will say, who's not the person I married? Well, you're not the person they married either. We're always all changing. We're always changing, all of us. And so we do the same thing with God. We just kind of go through life, and we're, you know, we're doing the job, or family, and all this kind of stuff. And then one day we wake up, and, and we look across the expanse of the universe, and we see God, and there's not a connection. There's no foundation. There's no relationship. And so when we go through major big stuff, there's nothing to fall back on. There's, there's not this deep, you know, roots deep down into the ground that no matter what happens, you and God have been through so much together already because you're praying and you're seeking him and you're pursuing him that, um, that you're not going to waver in your faith with God regardless of what happens. And, and that's not the type of Christianity we practice for the most part in America. It's all very... Um, you know, kind of self-service. I'll take what I want, leave what I don't. Um, I'll take all of the good feeling stuff and leave all the conviction stuff. I don't want, I don't want anybody to hold me accountable. I don't want um, scripture to hold me accountable. I don't want a church to hold me accountable. Um, not, not to really make too big of a deal about this, but guys, I, I regularly have people that will tell me, um, this is not what they say. They, what they're saying is, <clears throat> um, the Holy Spirit convicts me here at Church of Argate, and I don't like that. And so I'm going to go somewhere else. That's not the way they say it. This is the way they say it. Um, you, you, you used to be exciting, but you're not anymore. I don't think I've ever been exciting, so that's not a good argument. I don't... Um, well, you used to really, you know, get to the truth and... It kind of seems like the same old thing over and over. I get, that's probably the most consistent one I've had over the years. It's like the same thing over and over. What, what is that? What? Yeah, get people saved. Pursue God with everything. Get people saved. Isn't that the whole Bible? <laughs> and there's a lot of stories about that, but it's a whole Bible. And, by the way, I, I record all, not record, record. I'm saying I put in my computer... Um, I track every message that I preach. If somebody says you're preaching the same things over and over, I can take them to my notes. If I repeat a scripture in, in less than a six-month time frame, I usually say I've just recently talked about this. So those kind of arguments fall flat. What they're saying is, I really don't want this whole pursuing God witnessing to people thing. Is there any way we could talk about other things? Can we talk about angels? I like angels. You know, I pick on that kind of stuff, but here's the reason is I've seen churches go through a couple months preaching on angels. You know why, my opinion? Why they do that? Yeah. It's safe. It's middle ground. How can you be convicted talking about angels? How can you draw closer to the Lord talking about angels unless somehow them worshiping God pulls you into worshiping God? You see what I'm saying? So you've got things like that that where, where do we really get in and pursue? I don't think you can do it passively. 
I just don't think you can do it passively. And if you're wanting passiveness in your relationship with God, something's wrong. There's something wrong in your spirit. If, if, if just coming to church and just sitting, and I obviously I'm saying this on a Wednesday night, so I know that's not who you are. Everybody in here pretty much does stuff. But if you're, if you're just coming to church just to be, but you're not engaging society, you're not engaging uh, in ministering to somebody, if you're not you know, trying to talk to your neighbors or do something, if you're not engaging somehow, what really is the point? I mean, you guys know I, I try to pick on this regularly, but what is the point? Why, do, why would we come to church just to come to church? Well, I like the way it makes me feel. Okay. But that only works so long, right? In fact, this is one of my big deals with some of the things, not all, but some of the things that I saw when I was a kid growing up in Pentecostalism. Most of what happened in Pentecostalism when I was growing up was good and solid, okay? There's, it was solid stuff. But there was a few things that would happen that I would recognize that, as a kid, I would say, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? It doesn't make sense to me. But the reason that we would do these things is because we were pursuing God. We could feel the Spirit of the Lord rise up within us. And when the Spirit, you know, as Jesus says, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me, what is the next part of what he says? He, he reads it out of Isaiah to the people. As it says, the Spirit of the Lord is, is, is upon me to preach the gospel. See, what happens is the Holy Spirit wants to come upon us. He wants to empower us to do. Not to be and not to feel but to do. The cool thing is, is we get to feel. But that should be just, wow, that's cool, but I'm going to do. And a lot of the things that I saw growing up, some of the things I saw growing up, was the Holy Spirit was moving in a service with people doing whatever, and the Holy Spirit was trying to tell them to do something, to do, to put feet to this, to put feet to this, to put feet to this, and they didn't know what to do with that because it was easier to not be obedient to putting feet to this and to just do stuff in the building. And so we do stuff in the building because we knew if we did a bunch of stuff in the building and we did that for three or four hours, we would all feel really good and then we would go back to the same life we were living the day before and the day before and the month before and the year before and the 10 years before and nobody is going to get saved. Nobody is going to be changed. Nobody is going to be transformed. Paul, you have a job to do. And then life would continue on. Okay. He's texting, so, you know, sorry. Um, <clears throat> so you understand what I'm saying? So then we had to feel really, really good for three or four hours, but not do anything with it. There was no action. So guess what? You come back next week, what do you have to do? You have to do all that over again, except for the fact that now that... that it's almost, like, um, it's almost like drugs or something else. That feeling is not going to be big enough or good enough that time. And so you're going to have to step it up a little bit more the next time. Right? So there's two areas here that I want to focus on. Two things I want you to think about. Is um, a lot of the stuff that kind of gets a little crazy with some of the charismatic moving stuff where the like people barking like dogs and rolling around the ground and, and um, just laughing for three or four hours or whatever the case is. I, I have seen where the laughing thing is a very solid, therapeutic, spiritual thing. Um, and people needed it. But a lot of times what that is is it's a response to the Holy Spirit saying, okay, I want you to do something. I don't really want to do that, but I want to feel good. I don't want to be obedient, but I want to feel good. And so, you know, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just laugh for a little while. Everybody else is doing it, right? And you've got you to up it a little bit more. Last week, we all raised our hands and shouted. Then, then, then the, week, you know, the next week, we all run around a little bit. And then the next week, we have to run more, and everybody raised their hand. Then we've got to jump and run. And then pretty soon, you've got people over to the side barking like dogs. Because you just get, you got to go to the next thing. You've got to go to the next thing. Instead of just saying, Holy Spirit, you have empowered me, and I'm going to be obedient with it. I'm going to do something tomorrow with this. Okay? 
Let me give you the basic, biggest example. I never, I never understood this. This is what I think. And, and I'm sure some of you disagree. I'm not trying to convince you of this. I'm just saying this is the way I perceive this. You may perceive it totally different. One of the things that I never could understand when I was a kid was um, Jericho marches. Okay? Now, if, if you do not know what that is, <clears throat> let me help you. If you didn't grow up in Pentecostal church, you have no clue about this. Um, we'd be having a great service. People are worshiping. People are praising God. And then pretty soon, everybody's marching in a circle around the building. And if you were just totally crazy fanatical, you might even walk outside and walk around the building, which always bothered me a little bit because in Jericho, when they did that, what happened? The building fell. Do we want the building to fall? I don't think so. Maybe we should get the kids out first. But So here's the deal with Jericho marches. This is what I think, and there could be three or four different other examples that would fit this idea, but this is what I think, is the Holy Spirit is moving in people, and they don't know what to do with it. One of the things that could possibly be the case, and growing up in Pentecostal churches, or really any churches, I know that this is probably the case in any building at any time, uh, in, uh, at any kind of service, is God's really moving on Rick's heart. Holy Spirit's moving within his heart. And uh, what happens when you start getting closer and closer to the Lord? What is the, the two basic things that are going to happen? They always happen in Scripture. If God just shows up right here, every one of us will do the same two things. What are they? Fall on our face. Not die. Hopefully not die. If, I guess if you look directly at the Lord. But like in Isaiah, you get the glory of the Lord, not actually the Lord. But in Isaiah 6, it happens all through Scripture. Two basic things. When God shows up in, in profoundness, they always fall on their face and they always repent. Worship comes after the repentance. They do worship, but it flows out of repentance. They always fall on their face and they always repent. So as the Lord is moving deeper and deeper within us, repentance will always, conviction will be happening and repentance will be uh, needed by us. This isn't like God saying, repent. It's his presence, his holiness, uh, pulls us toward repentance. Okay, because he's holy, we're not, and we recognize that. Immediately we recognize that. Okay, so let's take Rick. So Rick is, the Holy Spirit is really deeply moving with us. And Rick is feeling the presence of God, so what's, what's he automatically going to be pulled toward? Repentance. That's always going if, if that's not going on in your deeper times with the Lord, according to Scripture, you're not really getting deeper into the Lord. You're, you're staying topical. You may feel like you're going deeper, but according to Scripture, you're staying topical. If there's not conviction or repentance, you're staying topical. Okay? If you use the temple, outer courts, praise, worship, inner courts, worship, before you could go into the Holy of Holies, repentance, cleansing, always. Okay, now, so Rick is really feeling the presence of God. He's feeling conviction. Um, he's he's really um, he he has a problem with Jana. <clears throat> um, he, Jana said something to him a couple weeks ago that was just so rude, and it, it really made him mad. I mean, it really made him mad. And so he went home and told Dee Dee all about it for like two or three days straight to the point where Dee Dee says, Rick, I am done with this, please. So now Rick and Dee Dee are fighting over this when it was Jana's fault. She said something mean. So Rick is really feeling the presence of God and the Holy Spirit begins to convict him. What's the Holy Spirit going to convict Rick of? Even, even if he was innocent in what happened, maybe Jana really just was mean to Rick. But the conviction is, you held it in your heart, you made something more of it, and now you even caused problems with somebody else with it. Okay? So God is convicting Rick, convicting Rick, convicting Rick. Everybody's worshiping, everybody's standing, everybody's praising. People are shouting to the Lord. Rick is convicted. According to Scripture, before God hears his prayer, what does he have to do? Go make it right with Jana. It says that, but when you, give, when you put your altar or gift on the altar, if you've got something between somebody else, you go make it right with them because God's not acknowledging that until you make it right. So, so Rick wants to place his worship 
upon the altar, which, by the way, this is, I believe this is the number one thing that hinders churches from really getting into God, is we put our worship on the altar, and God is saying, you got issues. You need to go work them out. I'm not accepting that. And it, everything stays flat. Everything stays per, uh, us. There's no breakthrough into the presence of God because we're keeping everything on, on the altar that God is not honoring. We're trying to worship, but God's not going to honor it until we go make it right with somebody else. That's straight out of Scripture. So Rick finally goes, okay, Lord, you're right. I'm sorry. I've, been, I've had an attitude against Jenna. Maybe he said something bad. Maybe not. I don't know. But okay, Lord, I'm going to go make this right. I know this sounds like a little bit of a stretch, but follow my thinking. So Rick steps out, walks around to go talk to Jenna. And when he gets right over there by Jenna, he goes, I can't do this. This is embarrassing. Jenna will probably just be mean again. How do I know what? You know, so he just keeps going. Everybody just gets out and follows him, and you know how you got a Jericho march. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, I knew it. I knew that's what was going on. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, in, a, in a very more simplistic sense, I really do believe that a lot of times the things that we do in churches are actually ways that we have trained ourselves to resist the true uh, Holy Spirit getting into our hearts and our lives. And this is what hinders us in worship, what hinders us a lot of things. And in my experience with growing up at Pentecostal church, sometimes the, the, the things that are, we're using as resistance can actually look very much like Holy Spirit manifestations, and what they are is they're distractions to ourselves, so that we don't let the Holy Spirit truly break us and bring us into conviction. The, the, the greatest service I've ever been in my life I remember it so strongly. We taped it. I used to go back and listen to the tape of this over and over just because of the supernaturalness of it. Um, church, maybe four or 500 people in the, in the building, and we're just worshiping and praising God, and you could sense the Holy Spirit coming to that place. I was, I was a youth pastor at the time, and I was also a worship pastor, and I was on the piano, and I'm singing. And it's just at the end of service, and people are just worshiping and praising. And all of a sudden, you could feel the presence of God come into that place. Like a, like very thick, almost like a, like a, a blanket or deep, deep fog just kind of came into the building. I, I couldn't see anything, but, but everybody just got quiet. And this was a noisy church. This was a run around, make a lot of noise kind of church. So when they got quiet, I was like, this, this could be God. And everybody got quiet. And nobody said anything. I'm just singing a song. And and nobody said anything, nobody told anybody to do that, but everybody began to kneel down and repent. You could hear it all over the building. People began to cry out, God, forgive me. Forgive me. And then they would they begin to say things out loud. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for this. And immediately, I mean, I'm sitting up there, and I'm the only one that's not, everybody else is bowed down, and I'm watching all this, and it's almost like, I, I do believe this is what happened. I think God just kind of whispered in my spirit and said, watch what I can do. So now I'm playing. I'm, I'm, I've never seen this exactly like this before, and it just got just, just quiet repentance. You could hear people moaning and crying all through the building. God, forgive me. Forgive me. This was a church that liked to worship and dance and party. And, uh, and to me, it always seemed a little bit plastic. And all of a sudden, they're repenting. Crying out to God, repenting, crying out to God. Probably 15, 20 minutes, that's all everybody did. Just, just wept before God. And then that place just erupted. And people worshiping and singing and standing and some people kneeling. And, worship, and, and for the first time in the few years that we had been at that church, for the first time I felt like this was real worship. This was true worship. It wasn't about the music and the beat and the groove and everybody um, liking what they're hearing or, or the, the, the instruments or, hey, that's catchy or whatever. Because, I, like I said, this was a very charismatic church. Everybody sang and danced all over the place all the time. Okay? We, we look like a, a Baptist church in the 1800s compared to that church. Right? And just the, the, the move of God and the worship of God through the place. 
And then people begin to worship in a powerful way, powerful way. But the reason, guys, I believe the primary reason that everything changed, shifted, was because they began to really get into the presence of God. And when you really get into the presence of God, what will always happen? Conviction. You will be convicted. And you'll worship. After repentance. And that's why I, I believe there's a, f- a few things, and, I, and I, I know I say this every now and then, I don't want to make this a negative thing because I do think we're, we're, we're growing closer, we're doing some things, we're having some breakthroughs, but I do feel like that we, we just haven't got to the other side, specifically in worship and, and connecting with God, connecting with each other and connecting with God on a spiritual level. And, and here is what I believe is the main reason. Again, two things that I said earlier. One is, is I think there's things that are between us and other people, and I don't necessarily mean in this building, okay? I don't know of things that are, you know, I don't know if, if um, uh, Nikki has a problem with Rena. You know, I don't know. That's not what I'm talking about, although that would be included. But I'm saying just things in our life. Maybe somebody at work, maybe even your spouse, maybe, but you have something between you and somebody else that you know that you need to just get right with God. And I think that's the first thing that hinders all of us. The Bible tells us that. We know that that will hinder us. Okay? And I think the second thing is, is as we get closer and closer and closer, I think we have taught ourselves to throw up defense mechanisms and resist the true piercing conviction of the Holy Spirit. I think we've trained ourselves to do that. And, and instead of really just be, get broken before God, we're worried about whether somebody will see us crying or, or, or praying or repenting. You know, we're, we're worried about whether, whether that, that, will they think I'm a horrible sinner? Who cares? According to Scripture, we're all horrible sinners. But the, the conviction thing, I think we shy away from it. I think we do that in this building. I think we do that at home. I think we do that in our prayer times. In fact, I think one of the things that happens is we really don't go after the Lord, pursue the Lord in consistent prayer times because it's, it's uh, too difficult. It challenges us in our spirit because we know the Holy Spirit wants to change some things. Before we ever even begin praying, we know the Holy Spirit wants to. We know what they are. We know before, before we ever get to God, we know the things that He's not okay with in our life. And so we keep Him at an arm's distance because if we, if we resist and we stop resisting and He starts getting closer... Repentance. Conviction. Repentance. Always. And that's somewhere we've got to get to that. Somewhere we've got to really pursue and say, God, I need you more than I need whatever, my comfort zone. I need you more than I need this, um, this uh, emotional um, stability that I've created for myself, which is, which is tenuous. You understand, if you create it yourself, it's, it's fragile, right? Um, so so I, this, this whole thing I've been talking about for the last month or two in services is pursuing God, pursuing God. You can't be passive. There's no such thing. You've got to be intentional. You've got to be active. Lord, I need you. I'm going to go after you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase after you. The scripture, I... I this is the, the strongest scripture in, in the Bible that comes to me constantly with this is the one I read out of um, Acts 17 that says the Lord wants us to, this is my paraphrase, but the Lord, that, that we are, that we are uh, stumbling around, feeling around in the dark looking for him. But he wants us to find him. You will find him. But sometimes it feels like you're, you're feeling around in the dark. You know he's there, but you don't know exactly where. Well, well, I think it takes that mentality. Lord, I'm going to keep looking for you. you I, I ask this question at least a couple times a year. But when is the last time that you just said, I am going to get before God and I'm not leaving until God has, like Jacob, God, I'm not leaving until you bless me. Now, be careful when you say that because we use the prayer that Jacob says, Lord, I'm not, I'm not going to let go of you or I'm not leaving until you bless me. And we think blessing is... We feel good, except how did God bless Jacob? He dislocated his hip. That's not the way we think. God, I want you to no, no, God, I want you to do that. I want you to bless me with, um, with chocolate 
Lord, I'm not leaving until you give me chocolate. Well, that's not the way, that's different. That, that's not the way, that's not the way God will do this. If, what could be greater than God blessing us with his presence? And remember, what does his presence bring? Conviction. It will always bring conviction because he's holy and we're not. So if we say, Lord, I need you to bless me, I need you to bless me, it will include conviction. So to ask the question, when's the last time that you just got with God and you didn't leave until he showed up, until his spirit moved into your mind and your heart, that you could feel, that you could know that he was now there in a, in a much more profound way than just being with you. As John says, before he was with you, now he's going to be in you. The difference is the Holy Spirit moving into your spirit and empowering you. When's the, when's the last time that you got before God and just wept? You say, I'm not really a crying person. I'm not. I'm not a crying person. All the rest of my family are crybabies. I am not a crying person. But I also know that when I really get in the presence of God, I can't help it sometimes. He's so big and he's so loving and he's so amazing and he's so powerful that he moves me to worship him. He moves me to feel his presence. He moves me to, bro to, to be broken. He moves me toward those things. So when's the last time that you got with God so profoundly that it broke you? It broke you. If... if if, if you think, well, that's not really who I am, as, as respectfully and as nicely as I can say this, you're pushing God away. If you say that's not really who I am, in Acts chapter 2, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they looked like they were drunk people. All of them looked like they were drunk because the power of God was so much bigger than their limited physicalness. The, the, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is bigger than your tiny little body and your, and your tiny little emotions and your tiny little brain. The Holy Spirit is so much bigger than that. I, I really enjoyed, I was listening to Francis Chan a couple months ago and he was at a conference of, of theologians and he kept telling them, he said, guys, I'm not, and these are all guys he respects. I respect all the, the same guys he's talking about. But he said, when it comes to just feeling God's presence, he said, in this setting, which is a theological seminar, he said, in this setting, this group right here, we are the most resistant to the Holy Spirit just being bigger than us. We are resistant to that because we have to figure it out here. And if we can't figure it out here, I don't want it. Which, by the way, is the same argument atheists use to say God isn't real. If I can't figure it out here, then it can't be, so God's not real. And the, and the more learned we get sometimes, the more we move into that mentality. You have to be able to prove it all to me. Sometimes God just wants to show up and you just fall down in his presence. Just start repenting. Because why? He's big. He's big. So I'm going to give you some scriptures. We're going to read these. Who wants to read some scriptures for us? Rick, Psalms 139, 17 and 18. Nikki, Psalms 40, verse 5. Who else? Tom, you want to read one? Do you own a Bible, Tom? Renee. Renee. Rena's got one. <laughs> Rena, Psalms 92. Uh, see, I wrote 1 through 76. I don't think that's right. 1 through 7, probably. Linda, did you want to read one? Psalms 3, 3 through 6. Who else? Patrick? Psalms 28, 6 through 9. Carrie? Psalms 28, 1 and 2. We're going to talk about these a little bit, but I really want, we're going to read it all. And listen, just listen. So whoever's reading it, please read it loud enough 
that everybody in the building can hear. Patrick. Psalms 28, 6 through 9. <laughs> There's medicine for that. <laughs> so so here's, what, here's what we need to do is let's listen to what David is saying. And I want to put some things in your head. I, 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 I mentioned this a few times, but I want to put this in your head before we start reading this because I want you to think about this. When we are worshiping God, when we are talking to God, specifically in the context of worship, we have our go-tos. Remember me talking about this? You have your go-tos. There's four or five things, and that's usually max. Most people have two or three. But if, if you just, you know, way out there, you'll have four or five things that you are your go-to worship stuff. They're your statements that you say when you're worshiping. Okay? And, and you, you won't go outside of those. You'll stay right in there. When you're worshiping God, you say the same things over and over and over at different, I mean, it may be three or four different things, but, but you don't get bigger than that. Most people don't. Okay, this, is not a, this is not an indictment or anything. This is just human nature. What I want to do is I want to encourage you to think a little bit differently tonight. As, as we close here in a little bit, we're going to worship together. We're just going to spend some time worshiping. And I want you to think outside your box. Not outside the box, because your box and my box are not the same box. Okay? The three or four or five things Statements that you use when you're worshiping. Is anybody confused with what I'm talking about there? Right? You have them, right? What are they? Somebody tell me a couple of yours. What are the statements that you say? Okay, you use that scripture. Okay? That's a, and again, this is not bad. That's a good go-to. That's a, that's a good worshiping thing. Okay? Patty, did you raise your hand? Okay. The, the cool thing is, is none of us are the same. If we'll listen, we'll gain some things. Carrie, did you raise your hand? Yes, ma'am. Okay. What is, the, what is the name for the Lord that you use the most when you're worshiping? Think about that. We probably use the same like Lord or God or Father, um, we use the same things, okay? Um, some things, statements like hallelujah, hallelujah is a great worshiping word. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, but that may be like one of the two or three things you say, right? We want to broaden our horizons, Hal. Okay? Anybody else? Um, one of the things that I, uh, when I'm worshiping, I say regularly is um, a, a, a few, it's a, a statement I say over and over, it's kind of long, but the first part of it is, um, not my will, but yours, Lord God. And then I begin to break that down. Not my plans, but yours. Not my, not my desires, but yours. Uh, not my goals, but yours. And then, if and if something's getting in my head that I know I'm, it's picking on me a little bit. I'll use, I'll say that too. Not this, but yours, um, kind of thing. Okay. So here's here's what I would like to suggest: is as we're thinking about this and worshiping, as we're reading these scriptures tonight, think about David says it many different ways. In fact, some of the things you guys are saying are David's words, right? Um, but he didn't say the same thing over and over. Right? He wrote an entire book. And it's pretty expansive. Uh, I heard somebody saying one time, there was this, um, uh, I think it's the song, uh, yeah, it is a song, You Dance Over Me. Remember that song? And, uh, and they were saying, I overheard this, they weren't talking to me over this, and they said, oh, that's silly. The Lord doesn't dance over us. That's silly. Why would you sing that? Why would you say that? There's a problem with their thinking. You know where the songwriter got that from? The Bible. And the Lord says, I dance over you. Above you. He dances around above us while we are worshiping. Why? Because he likes what you're singing and it's danceable. 
Like, you haven't heard me sing. I don't think the Lord is dancing. Maybe he's clogging over yours. We don't know. Maybe he's tap dancing. Maybe he's doing something more like this. You know, I don't know, I don't know what. But, but why, why would the Lord dance over you? Why? Because he's celebrating. He's, he's pleased. He likes you. He likes hanging out with you. He likes being close to you. And when you start singing, and when you start worshiping, and it comes from your spirit, he loves that so much. And he just gets right in the middle of that. And he just gets going with you. Linda's father, years ago when I was in college, and he was the pastor of the church, I never seen anybody do this, really. He would dance while the worship was happening. <laughs> so I'll show you. Because <laughs> he's not an exuberant kind of guy. Everybody be worse. This is a pretty charismatic church, too. And boy, he'd get it, and he just couldn't handle it, and he'd start dancing. That's what he would do. That's it. And the first time I'm worshiping and service, and I saw him, I thought, what's he doing? It's like, is he slow motion marching? What's he doing? But for him, boy, he was cutting loose. Get out of his way. I mean, you don't got to get that far, but get out of his way. Why? Because it just, you know, he loved it. He got in him. When does the Spirit of God get in us so much that we got to do something about this? First scripture. Now, David didn't read this and then write it down. This came from his heart. And he, he, just, he just realized it's revelation, which comes from presence of God, which comes from getting in and staying in the presence of God. And he realized that the thoughts of the Lord for him are good. They're amazing. They moved on his spirit. And then he gets to the next point, which is when you begin to think about that, it's numerous. It's too numerous to count. That's what he's saying. But he likes a good picture, so he says it's like the sand on the seashore. Next one, Psalms 40. I love the part. Now, there's, there's all kinds of good stuff in here, but the fact that there, that you, that there is no equal to you. We sing that in one of our songs. There is no equal to you. I love that. We, we try to make things the same as God or as big as God, but they're not. There's no equal. So, so does he really want to do good stuff for you? I mean, that's what that scripture's saying. But do you think that? When you have that revelation in your spirit, God really wants to do good things for me. Why does God want to do good things for you? Because, you know, the other part of the song, I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. It's not because you deserve God doing good things. So why does God want to do good things for you? Because he loves you. That's it. That's it. Because he loves you. And he just wants to do good things with you, for you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to be close to you, and he wants you to be close to him. And he wants to do things in your life. Corey Schwartzman says this, and I, I love the way he says this, is God likes showing off. He just likes showing how big he is. Doing cool stuff. I, I, I wish I had enough money right now to just buy my, my son and daughter-in-law a new car. They had to, just last week, they had to put a $4,500 transmission in their car they just bought four months ago. And uh, oh, it, hurts, it hurts me. I mean, they had the money in savings. They're, they're, my son's really prudent. And all, but I, just, I wish I could just go buy him a brand new car. I, I, love, I would love to do that. According to Scripture, I, as an earthly father, can't come close to how much God, as a heavenly father, wants to do good things for you. 
He does. But you've got, you got to get it. When you get it, that revelation pushes you to worship. The next one, Psalms 92. I, I, I wanted to break them into sections, but I like the way that it flows. David's thought process here, okay? This is one of the things I think we have to kind of do as Christians. Yes, there are evil people around me, and yes, they seem to prosper. But I've come to this scripture many times over the years to remind myself that God wants to prosper me. He wants to pull me to him. He wants to bless me. And again, I don't necessarily think that means financially, but it does include that, okay? So even though the things around me, people, circumstance, workplace, community, whatever, can everybody seems to be doing good and everything is, you know, the, 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 the sinners are really getting a lot. God wants to honor me. So then, according to, to David here, what is his reaction when he really gets it? God wants to take care of me. Regardless of the wicked, God wants to bless me. What is his reaction that he says right in the middle of this whole thing? I'm going to worship him. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to sing to him. I'm going to, I'm going to make music to him. I'm going to, this is intentionality. I will praise him. I will worship him. And, and, I'm, and I'm going to do this. The fact that there are different instruments here tells me something. What does it say? It's a group. It's not by myself. So apparently there's more of us that are not the wicked. We're trying to pursue God. Yes, we're sinners, but we're trying to pursue God. There's a difference between that and the wicked. Okay? So we're trying to pursue God. And apparently there's a group of us, and some of them can play this instrument, some of them can play this instrument, and David talks about how he will write the songs. He's kind of like, um, just forgot his name. I write the songs. It makes the whole world sing. Who, who wrote that? Barry Manilow, that's right. He's the Barry Manilow of the Bible. So... But, but David's the one who's doing the writing. Other people are doing the playing, and we're all doing the singing. That sounds kind of like what? A worship service. And why do they have this worship service? Because they have the revelation that God is big, and he wants to honor me. Regardless of what's going on around me, he wants to honor me. And when I have that revelation, I will sing to him. I will worship him. Psalms 3. Who was that? Linda.
Psalms 91 says, A thousand will fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it won't come to me. His truth, I'm actually doing this backwards, but his truth is my shield and my buckler. He will take care of us. And when we get that, it should cause us to worship. Lord, you will take care of me. You will provide for me. You will protect me. You will defend me. And then that should cause us to worship, should push us toward worship. Psalms 28. Now we're getting more to the, um, to the intimacy of this, the closeness of this, the shepherd mentality, that not just the, the king that protects us, but, but more of this closeness where he's walking with us. He's uh, answering our cries. We call out to him and he's there. Um, can, you, can you back up to verse 1 and 2 there also? Okay. Now, again, there's a response that's included with this. God, when I recognize you, I'm going to do something about this. So what, what is one of the things that David says he does here? It's the last few words she said. You guys hear? I raise my hands to you. We, we think... We think in modern church, I'm saying the last 50 years, we think that's more of a Pentecostal slash charismatic thing. Nowadays, the Baptists are even doing it. But back in the day, the Baptists would not raise their hands. That's a crazy Pentecostals. Except that it's about 30,000 years old. Closer to 3,500 years old that they raise their hands to the Lord. In corporate settings, they raise their hands to the Lord in submission and surrender and revelation of worship. Lord, I, I lift my soul to you. I lift my heart to you. I lift my mind to you. I lift my life to you. And I, to, to visualize all of that, I lift my hands to you. Now, most people nowadays, when they think about lifting hands, they always use the same example. What is that? This is why we lift our hands, or this is the mental picture. If somebody sticks a gun to you, you surrender. That's, God doesn't hold a gun to me. God's not holding a gun on me. I'm not surrendering out of that kind of mentality. According to, to this part, these two verses, I lift my hands because everything is being lifted up to God. It's an offering. And the lifting of my hands is an offering mentality. God, I lift everything up to you, and I visualize that by the lifting of my hands. Okay? Uh, Patrick, can you go back in the booth? We're going to sing... <clears throat> we're going to sing... Um, this song, I, I love this song that um, we, we've been doing the last few months, and, and I, like the, I like how it does a few things. Um, the, the basic things that it does, excuse me, I need the words. Uh, the basic things that it does is it carries us on a journey. We're, when we're going through, um, we go, what a beautiful name. And then when we get to the end, we get to powerful name. And, and I think there's a, there's a mental thing that says this is who God is and this is what he's trying to do. And so why don't you stand with me? Actually, you can stand, sit. I don't, I don't want to lock you into this. The most important thing for me with us, with this is that we, is that we just worship. I'm going to turn this one off. Is that we just worship, that we just really say, okay, God, I want to spend just a few minutes here, and I just want to interact and connect with you. That's it. And, uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the song and sing, and you can sing if you like. Um, but I would like somewhere while you're singing and worship, I want, you to, I want you to think about some of the things that we read.
God, you're the majestic one. You, you provide for me. You take care of me. And I've got to lift my voice. I've got to lift my hands. Um, I would encourage you while we're doing this, just lift your hands and worship God. Maybe kneel down. But, but whatever. And if you say, well, I've never lifted my hands before, this could be the night. And to really think to yourself, Lord, I just want to worship you. I just want to connect with you. want to come into your presence. We just want to be close to you. Lord, pour your spirit into us. Pour your spirit into our minds, into our lives. God, we surrender and submit to you. Lord, we surrender and submit to you what you want to do with us. Lord, what you want to do with us. Lord, we ask you to wash us clean and forgive us. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. Not my way, not anybody else's way in this place. Lord, have your way. You're the king. You're the king of everything. And Lord, your thoughts for us. Lord, your thoughts for us are amazing. Your thoughts for us are good. Your thoughts for us or Lord, that you want to do amazing things with us. Lord, you want to bless us. You want to provide for us. You want to take care of us. Lord God, you want to defend us when things are coming against us and attacking us. Lord God, you said that your truth will be our shield and our buckler. And a thousand will fall on our side, 10,000 on our right hand, but it won't come to us. 
because you will take care of us. You will provide for us. So God, help us to just worship you. I recognize that you're the the king of everything. So Lord, I worship you. God, you're the majestic one. Fill us with your spirit. Roll through this place with your presence. In the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. Beautiful name it is. Name of Jesus Christ What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. Sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. And what a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ my King. What a wonderful name it is, nothing compares to this, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus Death could not hold you The veil tore before you You silenced the boast of sin and grave The heavens are roaring The praise of your glory You are raised to life again Death could not hold you, but they'll tell before you. You silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. Now think about this. You have no rival. Jesus' name. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you will. Sing that again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you will. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. And what a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing that again. What a powerful name. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The 
name of Jesus Christ my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. The name of Lord, your name is more powerful than anything we ever have to deal with. Your name is more powerful than any sickness or disease. Your name is more powerful than any relationship issues. Your name is more powerful than all the governments of the world. Your name is more powerful than anything that can come against us, that can come against our families. God, your name is more powerful than any financial issues. Your name is more powerful. Your name is more powerful. It doesn't matter what tries to attack us. It doesn't matter what tries to come against us. Your name is more powerful. Your name is more powerful. Death could not hold you. They'll tore before you. You silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. Jesus Christ. powerful name it is what a powerful name it is the name of Jesus Christ my King what a powerful name it is the name of Jesus what a powerful name it is the name of Jesus thank you Jesus Lord, we declare you. We declare you over us. We declare you over our families. We declare you over Church at Briargate. We declare you over Colorado Springs. We declare you over our schools, over our teenagers and our kids. We declare you over the police over the emergency rescue people, over the government. We declare you. We declare you over all the ministries of this city, all the parachurch organizations. Lord, we declare you. In Jesus' name. You're the king. You're the bright morning star. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. You're the fairest of 10,000. You're the, the lamb that was slain. You're the everything. You're the all in all. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. In Jesus' name. You're my King. You're my God. You're my Redeemer. You're my Advocate. My Provider. We bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your Holy Name. ask you to touch Harry. God, give him full control in his, in his left side. God, just bless him with healing, complete healing. God, 
we thank you. Lord, we ask you to fill this place up Sunday with people that are hungry for you. Lord, we know it's Mother's Day. God, let let this place be full of people that need you, that need each other. And God, help us to be the place that we can be that will glorify you, acknowledge you, and put you first in all things. And Lord, we want to pursue you. We want to reach people for you in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Does anybody want to say something before we go? put something on your heart. Tom. you go lay down a little bit before breakfast and uh, we will see you men men remember tomorrow night I'm, I'm, I mentioned the scriptures when we pray God wants to smell meat cooking if you don't know what that means I'll, I'll explain those scriptures again tomorrow night my house uh, whenever the bulletin says I think it's 630 does that sound right I'm looking at you Paul Okay, 6.30. 6.30, my house, we're going to eat, and then we're going to spend some time praying. Uh, men's breakfast Saturday, work day Saturday, women's banquet, uh, Mother's Day banquet Saturday evening. A lot of stuff happening. We will see you at all those, and we will see you Sunday morning. Have a great rest of your evening.